Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. It's good having Amos with us, isn't it? It's good having Amos with us. Thank you, Amos. I do apologize. He's been painting. (laughs) And uh, had to rush here. Oh, if you have your Bible with you, would you open it out to the book of Acts for me, please? Book of Acts. We're just tracking on a journey where we're using this phrase. I don't know if we can get this picture up, please. John, maybe you need to take this part of the service for us, please, on that overhead. We're looking at what it looks like for us to do life together. I think so often it's a cliche in the church. (laughs) You know, I often said to the millennials that I've worked with, who think life together is coffee in coffee shops and high days and holidays, I think life together for me is you cutting my grass <laughs> and me painting your front room. Ooh. You haven't seen me paint. Don't get too excited. <laughs> it's better than nothing, I suppose. But the truth is, I think, we have almost allowed ourselves a form of uh, koinonia, which is the church, the called out ones, the called into relationship with God ones, almost that's so different from the book of Acts. It's almost like we have this kind of process that we go through each Sunday um, and we connect with one another as quickly as and as easily as we can on a Sunday. But, you know, I want to just say to you that for a church to really become substantially used of God, it's going to require of us more than just celebratory services. It's going to require of us an investment in each other's lives. And um, there's something about that that I think the world is waiting for. It says all of creation is waiting with eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. And so I need you and you need me. And while this is great and we've got car park issues and God is blessing in all those ways, we don't just want to grow higher, we want to grow deeper. And we want to grow deeper in relationship with God. Amen. We want to go deeper in relationship with each other. Oh, me. That's like amen, but it has a question mark at the side of it. And we want to grow deeper in relationship with the city that God has placed us in. Because we're not here accidentally. He does nothing accidentally. We're here intentionally. God has a plan to prosper and to bless this city. And you're part of that prospering and blessing process. We must first be prospering and blessing ourselves. You know that, don't you? Oh, thank you. So week number one, we just took a little look at the book of Acts and the phenomenal thing that God did, and we found ourselves arriving with this question, is it still the heart of God to fill a city with his glory? I think most of us would say yes up here. Um, We probably don't have the perception or the capacity to understand what that would look like in here, and our imaginations are very limited because we've not seen that. We've heard about it, um, we've been told about it, we read about it, but we haven't seen that. Um, and just because I haven't seen something doesn't mean I shouldn't embrace its truth. Before I met Jane, I had never seen love, never seen love the way I understand love now. And when Jane came into my life, she distracted me and, and, and won my heart, and I have a relationship with her that I never ever imagined could ever be possible. I hadn't seen it but that doesn't mean it didn't exist. It didn't mean it wasn't available. The same is true of the supernatural in God. We may not have seen that. We may have read about it. We may have heard about it. People tell stories about it, but actually we can see with our own eyes 
the goodness of God healing and restoring people to their full health and strength. You don't have to have seen it to know that it's real. You have to have seen it to know that it's available. So in the book of Acts, our first week, I don't know about you, but I was shocked at how quickly the church grew. I was shocked at how God had chosen some very simple, ordinary, and quite broken individuals, confused by so much as the starting point to a revolution that began to change the world. I was shocked by the numerical growth of the church, the phenomenal impact it had on the city of Jerusalem, and there beyond that into the world. And, and last week we paused, and I purposely did this, it wasn't accidental, to talk about a mindset that's necessary for all that God wants to do. It's so easy, I think, sometimes to think that God is withholding blessing. Or maybe you think you have to do or act in a particular way to receive blessing. Those two things, they kind of are the, the places we go to. But one of, the, one of the ways that we are restricting what God wants to do is not because we're not praying enough or doing enough. It's because we just are not in alignment with our mind and our understanding for all that God wants to do. You do know that God is simply brilliant. And you have to recognize that you're playing catch-up. On your best day, in your greatest moment, you are dull in comparison to the brilliance of God. So we want our minds to be open to all that God wants to do. And one of the things we've been trained by life not to do is get our hopes up. In fact, the enemy has been working really hard in your life to keep you in a place where you have very little hope or expectation that God will do what he promised he will do. And your circumstances have played a huge part in shaping that mindset. You see, you can be in a meeting and God can be healing somebody on the front row and somebody over there who's been waiting on healing for 20 years do not believe or cannot even perceive or conceive that God is doing something of that magnitude 10, 20, 30 feet away from them. It's not because they're not seeing with their eyes something taking place. It's they cannot perceive it in their minds that God would do what he said he would do because their life experience seems to have a greater impact on the way they see the world. Now remember, in the first century church, they didn't have the longevity we have as Christians. They didn't have repetitive promises that revival was coming. They were birthed in revival. Jesus is walking, living, breathing, active, profoundly glorious revival. They had seen miracles. They had seen signs. They'd seen people raised from the dead. And their mindset had a huge impact on what God was preparing them for whenever he poured out his spirit in Acts chapter 2 on the early church. Yes, they'd had some problems and difficulties, but their mindset, their perception of God, his ability, his capacity, his profound reality was so much more in tune with how God's mind actually thinks than ours does presently. We've almost become used to not seeing God move. And, and lots of people come and challenge me, and they do it nicely, thankfully, but they're saying, you know, pastor, that's not real. We live in the real world. And, and gosh, if you knew my life, you would know that I know what the real world feels like. If we could do catalog to catalog about how difficult life could be, I think I could probably go head to head with you in the worst of your life circumstances. But that's not where I choose to live. Yes, life is hard Yes, things go wrong, 
you pray and you fast and you ask God to do things, but there is a superior reality I can live from. Yes, life is hard, things go wrong, it's been difficult, but God is good. And if God is good, I want to access that goodness even in my hard life, even in my difficult circumstances. I don't have to be subjected to just humanistic thinking that this is all there is because I have been called and you have been called and we are seated with Christ in heavenly places above all powers, above all thrones, above all dominions. You know, and I just want to say one of the things that will change everything for you is when your faith begins to be activated because your hope has grown exponentially in your heart and in your life. You will start to see God do incredible things. God is not withholding from you. That's a lie from the pit of hell. You just have not understood or maybe comprehended or even are aware that your heart is not the best kind of condition for God to move in power and glory. And you know, when you've been in a revival, let me tell you something about revival. There's no human effort that can create revival. God doesn't move because we have prayed. God moves because God loves to fill the earth with his glory. He loves to transform humanity. He loves to set captives free. Come on, wake up church this morning. So if you're thinking this is going to be a huge amount of effort, no, it's not. But it does require of us the honesty and the integrity before God to say, Lord, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Lord, I believe. And you know, I felt God say to me after that Sunday, you need to stop talking about what can happen and you need to start demonstrating. Okay, when Jesus tried to teach his disciples about all that the kingdom meant, he didn't talk, he demonstrated. The fish, the healings. He exposed people to the other world of God, which is not just human here on earth, but the kingdom of the heavens where there is no lack and there is no need. God allowed that world to invade this world and the disciples and those who were the followers of Jesus saw something before they understood something. And in our left-brain intellectual approach to spirituality in the West, we think we need to understand something before we can actually experience something. I want to tell you, you are about to have your world rocked. God is moving in power and authority. And I feel that as your pastor, and I think I still am, okay, it's time to start demonstrating the kingdom and then explaining how God does what he does. But it requires of us a shift away from disappointment and disillusionment. You have camped there, as have I many times, thinking, well, life's so hard, God. All I could ever ask of you is that you would be faithful to me. Do you know that there's so much more than that that God has for you? I know the plans I have for you, says the pastor, to get you to park your car in Frederick Road tithe more vigorously, serve more gloriously. That's not it. This is what the Lord says in Jeremiah. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Says the Lord. This comes from God himself. To prosper. If that's the kind intentions of God, and you're not living 
in those kind intentions? Is it God? Here's our other go-to, the devil. Oh, it must be the devil, Pastor. He's stopping. You're simply not that important that the devil himself has been assigned to you. I'm sorry to be rude. I've said this many times. I want you to listen carefully. He has limited resources, and I think he's got bigger fish to fry. So it's not the devil, and it's not God. So what is holding it up? Me. And don't all point to me and say, we knew it was you, Pastor. We knew it was you. Because that's what the church does. If the pastor was more anointed, we'd see more blessing. That's what you do. It's the blame game. I'm just keeping it real for you. Oh, if the pastor prayed more, we would see the power of God. If the pastor visited more, we would see the presence of God. Now, which would you like, prayer or visiting? Because as of yet, my gift of omnipresence has not really developed to the point that I can be 24 hours a day available to you and also available to God. If the pastor had a greater prophetic ministry, would understand the signs of the times. Do you know we do the blame game? Do you know one thing? Let me tell you one thing. Honestly, I don't hold all the cards. I have one deck to play with. God has given it to me. I'll do the best that I can. But what about you? What about you? It doesn't say if my pastor, who is called by my name, <laughs> would only humble himself, <laughs> and turn from his wretched, wicked, filthy, <laughs> sinful ways. I will therefore pour out my spirit on all flesh. Does, does it say that? No, it doesn't. What does it say? If my... Oh. We arrive at a place where we have some clarity. If my people... And it's so easy to expect this from someone else and not expect it from ourselves. Do you honestly think that your mindset can contain what God wants to do right now? The truth is, no. With all respect, we've come out of a pandemic that's had its effect on us. We've been through a number of things in life that have shaped the way we see things and think about things. We've seen little tiny essences of the kingdom breaking through. Now, can I just hit another bullseye for you? One of the keys to not experiencing God is that you're so busy experiencing you. I think it was Keith Green who wrote these words. They, they rocked my world back in 1900 and frozen to death. <laughs> he said, Lord, it's so hard to see when my eyes are on me. And one of the things that happens through disappointment or disillusionment is we become a little self-absorbed. Do you recognize that? Talk to me, church. Do you recognize that? We just get a little caught up with us. And here's what we need. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my life. We need our eyes fixed on Jesus. If your eyes are fixed on you, guess what you'll find? You. And you've had you day in, day out, for the last however many years. I mean, are you really going to be satisfied with that? We need to fix our eyes on Jesus. He's not just our focal point. He's our very reason for existing. And as we fix our eyes on Jesus, 
you will find, and I have found this in my life, that some of the things that seem complicated or difficult, they fade away, and I have this understanding of who God is. And when I have an understanding of who God wants to be for me in those moments of my life, my problems are subservient to the promises and the presence and the person of Jesus. So it may look like a bit of a detour to you last week when we went through that, but I just wanted to say it was intentional. We need God to redeem our minds, and we need God to restore our faith. Hallelujah. And we need God to reinvigor our hope. And most profoundly, and this is probably going to sting a little bit, we need the deepening power of the Spirit to cause our hearts to fall more and more in love with Jesus. And if you look at the New Testament, you realize those realities were the very environment that God began to move through. Yes, they were broken. Yes, they had circumstances that were terrible. Yes, they were confused. Anybody confused.com in the room? <laughs> I'm confused by this world. I don't know what, what's going on most weeks. But they had a promise and that promise is that God said he would send them the Holy Spirit. Church, you're sitting, sitting today under the canopy of the Word of God that says, I will send my Holy Spirit to you. And we know on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and the birthing of the church happened. But you know, the church has had many rebirthings over the centuries. The reason why God has to keep reminding us of some things is that we forget and so we need a fresh outpouring of his Holy Spirit. Anybody open to that? Can I just pray for that? Becca, you pray for that, would you please? Amen. Acts chapter 2. We're coming to today's uh, subject. I won't be any longer than 20 minutes. If I don't get through it, then I'll send you the notes. If you want them, just email me. My title for today is Unity and Community. And I want, if I can, in the few moments I have with you, to show you the partnership between those two things. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, can we get this up on the screen? John, could you take control of this, please? When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Verse 2, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Let me take you to another scripture which is kind of a, 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 a launching pad for the conversation I want to have with you this morning. It's Psalm 103, sorry, 133. We're going to read verse 1 together. And this is what it says. How good, say good for me, and pleasant, say pleasant, is it when God's people live together 
in uniformity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for there the Lord bestows his blessing even forevermore. In order for us to have unity in the church, which I think if you look at that particular scripture in the book of Acts, you will see there was a prerequisite to the outpouring of all that God wanted to do. And that prerequisite was that they were all together in one place. In order to have unity, we must first create community. Church, I want to remind you that you cannot have unity without community. And you can't really have community without unity. You must have them both. And you must have them both because the church is only healthy when both those dynamics are taking place in our lives. Radical community will facilitate exceptional unity. And we need the Spirit of God to build us together for all that God wants to do. And the way I think that's best for that to happen is in small groups. Now, can I just say about this, this plug for small groups? What we have here in church on a Sunday is not really community. What we have on a church, in a church on Sunday is celebration. You don't know the people sitting behind you. You don't really know what's happening in their life. You shake a hand, you say hello. Maybe you like it that way. Maybe for some reasons it's easier that way. But actually what this is meant to be is not community. And one of the problems that a lot of people have with the church is they think that all their needs should be met in this environment. Well, I've been to that church three times and nobody has really even asked me my name. The amount of times, I, if I had a pound for every time somebody said to me those types of things over the years, I would be living in the most exceptional house. But what the problem is, is their expectation is more than we are able to facilitate. Look around you. And as we grow as a community, how are we going to know everybody? How are we going to know everybody's story? How are we going to know what's happening in everybody's life? And some people come here hoping that the needs that they have in that way to connect with somebody will be met through a gathering of this type. And I want to say out loud, it never has been that way. It could never be that way, and it will never be that way because this is the gathered church. This is the celebration environment. In fact, in the book of Acts, it says they came together, some with a song and some with a psalm. They came to give. They didn't come to receive. Just think about that. So do I have or should I have an expectation that I turn up on a Sunday and somehow all of my spiritual needs are met? Talk to me, please. I'm just trying to keep it real for you. Should all of my emotional needs be met on a Sunday? How could that even be? You know, you've got therapists. They've been going 20 years with you. 
and they can't meet your emotional needs. How are we going to meet it in 10 minutes at the beginning, shaking hands, and maybe if we're really fortunate and benevolent, a cup of tea at the end of the service? It's unrealistic expectations create opportunities for the enemy to disconnect people from the beginnings of family, the beginnings of a journey where they can find their way forward. So if we're expecting unity here, but we're not having community there, I think we're always going to live with this deficit in our minds about what could be. Now, I just I have, I have a tendency to tell the truth. I make no friends for myself with that, you know, because people think, well, just shut up and put up, Pastor. But, you know, I've been around too long. I'm not shutting up and I'm not putting up. The, the thing is, church, what God has called us to is more than a few songs and somebody waffling on like me. What he's called us to is deep, deep relationship with him first and foremost and with each other. Deep, deep relationship. And I think in the scriptures there must be something like 58 one another's in the New Testament. 58 times we are encouraged to think community and to think collectively and to think of ourselves as the body of Christ and to think of ourselves as the agents of transformation. But that transformation must happen among us before it could ever happen through us. Are you leaving the church now? You can't have unity without community and you can't have community without unity. You must have them both in order to be a healthy congregation or church. So radical community, what does that look like? How do you build the spirit of unity in a church setting? Well, the only way I know how to do that, and I've been around this, this block a few times, is through small groups. If we want God to move in our city, we're going to need a little bit more than a weekend crowd. We have to build a secondary structure beyond the celebration moments. And that secondary structure is not new to us. We saw this in the book of Acts. They met together in each other's homes with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and seeing the wonders of all that he was doing. And it says many were added to their number on a daily basis. So, God wants, I think we all agreed in week one, you're very quiet this morning, God wants the church to grow larger. If you have a problem saying yes to that, you need to take that to the Lord. Jesus said the kingdom of heaven is advancing, not retracting. Okay, the kingdom of heaven is advancing. And the violent, those who are violently opposed to anything that stops it. <laughs> Did you hear? They shall lay hold of it. I I'm convinced that a church... <clears throat> grows to the capacity of the hearts of the people who God has connected to that community and um, 
We must be radically inclusive. Radically inclusive. That's not your seat. You have no right to it. We're allowing you to sit on it. I'll be taking some numerical reward for that at the end of the service. It's a pound each. Do you know when we built this church 20,000 years ago, we asked people to do something for you that you don't even know they did for you. Okay? We said, buy a seat for yourself because we ain't buying it. We're generous like that. Okay? And buy one or two or three for the people you don't know yet who are going to come to know Jesus and sit on those chairs. So you don't own the chair you're sitting on. Some of the people who bought those chairs are long gone. They're dead. And some of the greatest givers to that moment, I remember I was the one who brokered it, were the old saints in this church who prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed that God would do something in this generation and the generations to come. So I don't get to have ownership over my seat. I am just temporarily using it. That's all. Until God brings someone else to fill it. Because you know why? You're in this service, but there'll be another bottom sitting on your seat in the next service. And if you had any understanding of how these things work, you'd be praying for that, bottom, that person. <laughs> To fulfill all that God has. You're a gatekeeper over your seat. You'd be praying that, that in the next service, God would pour out his spirit on that person's life to such an extent. You see, we don't think community. We think in isolation of ourselves. Me, myself, and I. This blessed, liberal thinking around individualism that has destroyed in society and in the church any understanding of what it means to be family what it means to be community, what it means to be the body of Christ. Our world has done a number on us, and people come in and out of this building with that mindset, and maybe you're one of them. But this morning I'm telling you that if God had his way, this church would have exponential growth. You might not be able to get a seat at some point. If you align your heart to what God wants and not what you want, you might find yourself out of a seat. Hallelujah. God's desire is not that the church would be stagnant or retracted, but it would expand and cover the earth with people who love him and share his love and his life in every context and in every environment. If you have a problem with church growth, you really are in the wrong church. I'm sorry, but you are. And I make no apology for that. I am not here or have not been called back here to see this church get smaller. I've been called here to see God bring increase. There is a more in me and a more God placed in me as a call for things that are unseen to become seen. And we're about to hit that road. I said, I think about two months ago, uh, three months ago, we're about to start an incline. I don't know if you remember that. I said, we're about to go through a, a season where things are about to accelerate. And I look around and I think I may have been a prophet. So a church needs to grow larger, but it also needs to become smaller. And I'm not talking about the gathered moments. 
It grows larger through the worship context and smaller through the small group context. And each of these dynamics of what it is to be the body of Christ and the people of God are used for very different purposes in God's economy. You see, when we gather like this, I don't know if you feel like this, it's just maybe me. Um, whenever I had a text the other day from Dave saying, let's have a little think around how we can help the car park, my heart just beat in my chest and I said, God, you've started doing something. You've started. Not that he wasn't already here, but things are about to move. And we have in our blessing a problem. Get used to that. Get used to that. And um, I began to just talk to the Lord about that, and I realized that, that that's not a problem. It's an invitation, and it's an invitation to think a little bit differently about how we do things. And, and if you want to grow spiritually, you have to think differently. The whole concept of repentance as being something that's emotional, I think, is way overstated. Actually, it's, it's an intellectual and a, a heartfelt connection to a complete turnaround to the way you think and the way you act. So in some senses, whenever God brings blessing and we have to rethink some things, we are repenting of old mindsets that hindered the extension of the kingdom of God and new opportunities to grow in our capacity to accommodate God. That's what that is. Your ouch. Your ouch is a moment, a heaven to earth moment, where we get to say, yes, Lord. Or we can say, no, Lord. Your ouch is good. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, any road. Hallelujah, Jesus. Your ouch is good. And I don't think I've been in any church where God began to move and bring more people and connect us to the community where we all didn't experience ouch moments. They were part of the journey. That moment where I had to decide to align myself with God's desire to bring extensive and incredible opportunity to the body of Christ and make more space for God to be God amongst us. And it comes right down to this decision in my heart. And, and I think, sadly, from my experience, not everybody journeys. And you need to know my heart right up front. My desire is that everybody would journey because we are moving, and I'm not saying this is revival, but there are signs around this that indicate to me that God is moving. Okay, when God begins to move, I need to move with him. I, I don't know if this is news to you, but he's God. Okay, and keeping in step with the Spirit. Because I know we love to be filled. I'm just, I feel this is God talking to you. Okay, I feel it is. Keeping in step with the Spirit is a whole other thing than just being filled with the Spirit. Now, if you're a consumer... You love being filled, but if you are a disciple, you want to go on a pilgrimage with Jesus to see his extensive kingdom. 
Jesus, on the day of his baptism, it's the first time in the New Testament, the only time, I think, to my knowledge, maybe a few other nuances, where the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit can tangibly be seen together. Father says, this is my Son, whom I'm delighted, in him I am well pleased. It says, the Spirit, like a dove, ascended upon Jesus, and of course we have the Messiah, Jesus himself, standing in the waters to be baptized in the Jordan. And in that moment where all three, Father, Son, and Spirit, are visibly and tangibly present in our world, in a, in a, in a way that we can see, it says that Jesus, full of the Spirit, say full of the Spirit, was led to the temple to preach good news. Full of the Spirit does not mean a honeymoon period. Full of the Spirit means you are obedient to what the Father asks you to do. And being filled with the Spirit doesn't mean that God won't move me to a desert place that stretches my capacity. And if Jesus had not gone to the desert, we would not have the story, the revelation that Jesus, identity, authority, and destiny were challenged by the enemy in his desert experience. If you want to know who you are, what you're here for, Stop craving mountaintops because you'll forget who you are or worse still, you'll think you're more than you are and allow God to lead you by His Spirit. And when God leads you by His Spirit, He will take you to spaces and places you do not want to go. You do not want to go there. In your natural, you will say, No, God. But we can't be Pentecostal in name and not be Pentecostal in inclination. If God is God and he's filling us with all these great opportunities, let us be led by the Spirit. It might mean for some of us we have seasons of discomfort. I, I feel tempted to put water in my hand and sprinkle it on you. I don't know why. <laughs> just, I'm just... I just Maybe it's the old Catholic in me, just, <laughs> I don't know what's going on there, but I just feel that this is a, this is a moment, because what I'm telling you, I'm telling you because I love you, and I'm telling you because I know the Father has more for you, and I'm telling you that we have become settlers, and I'm telling you that you're called to be a pioneer. And I'm telling you that there is more in God. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, nor has it even entered the heart of anyone in this room what God has prepared for those who love him. So the church is going to grow. It's going to get so big in the last days, you won't know 98% of the people. <laughs> How marvelous. Okay. <laughs> You won't know. And you're going to be sitting next to some of the choicest cuts of human existence. And you're going to say, what? What are those people doing? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This is my place. This is where I live. 
that the whosoever, the whosoever's, I don't get to choose. I'm already chosen. That's my privilege. He chooses who he wants to choose. And you're going to be sitting to some people you would have normally crossed the road to avoid. I might have been one of them. You might be the one I tried to avoid. God bless you all. God wants to extend. I came back, I'm going to finish with this. I came back to CLC. I haven't been here for a long time. And um, my first impression when I came into this room, the elders were kind enough to show us around the church we were here to build. Thank you. It's good, it's changed. It's changed. Church is never a building, it's people. And the first thing I said to Jane, I whispered it to her, gosh, it's too small. It's too small. Now, I didn't know what the congregation was like as far as numbers or any of those things, but as, as soon as this church right now needs to be twice the size. Twice the size. Okay? Pastor Vic and I have talked in the, in the early days about some opportunities. We've explored Sainsbury's. That went down well, didn't it? <laughs> I mean, the levels of faith in the room were exceptional. I remember... <laughs> I'm thinking, do not let your heart be troubled, Pastor. <laughs> Trusted Jesus. You know, and I want to tell you something because that's not over yet till it's over. I don't think things are over till God says it's over. Amos's mom came on the day that we blessed Amos into this uh, congregation. And um, she came up to the front very humbly and, and very kind of um, um, apologetically. And she said, I don't know if this means anything to you, but. I, we drove past a building on the way here, and uh, I just want to say to you that I think there's something about it that God wants you to connect to. I said, well, what building was it? Hoping it was the town hall. <laughs> or Alexander Theater, that would be nice. And she said, I think it's Sainsbury's. I think it's Sainsbury's. And she said, when you were talking about God's expansive vision for the church, I just felt that God was saying to me, to tell you this, that there is a place and a space for you that's much greater because he longs to do greater things in the city than he's currently doing. Now, greater isn't always just numerical growth, okay? Greater is people who are engaged in all that God wants to do. And you know, I have no desire, no earthly desire to do another building project. I'm 61. What's wrong with you people? I should be settling into some kind of dotage with cream teas and garden centers as my go-to place, 61. But you know, I am and I have been called to be a Joshua. That's what God called me to. Wherever I placed the soles of my feet, that ground he promised he would give me. And you know, Joshua was called to an extensive territory. And when it was his turn to lead the people, Within three days, three days, he decamped. I mean, how long have I been here? 11 months? Three days, he decamped all the settlement because the promise was never to sit this side of the promise. The promise was to put your feet in the place and the space that God had always ordained and destined for you. You may need some new shoes. 
But before your shoes are put on, your heart needs to become expansive. God is building his church, and the gates of hell can't stop it, so don't you get in the way. Okay? And I'm not about numbers. I couldn't care less about numbers. People send me texts on Sunday how many people were in. That's not a thing to me. I couldn't care less about numbers. Numbers are just a small indicator that we're doing a few things right. But this isn't all about gathering people to a place. It's about scattering people to a destiny. It's about filling the city with God's goodness. Amen? Okay, I was too long. I apologize. Forgive me for five minutes already. <laughs> Little Jewish boy came out to me there. <laughs> Shall we stand? <laughs> Sam's going to say something, then I'm going to pray, pray for you. Hello? Um, I don't, I hate it's this. Not on. I don't, can you hear me? Hello? Hello? The mic's not Yay. on. Is it on? Is it on? Yeah. Oh, I okay. I love being up here. You can tell, can't you? Um, all the way through, God felt, I felt God saying that I need to just share my experience of small group. Um, it was connect groups back in lockdown. Obviously, with what happened with Martin, there's two points to this. The first one that my family have wanted for nothing in earthly terms. There were people in our house immediately. There were people praying for us, yeah. people cooking for us. I had um, Dennis Easy watering my artificial plants for me, <laughs> <laughs> feeding the guinea pig for me. Yeah. Anything we needed, there were just, it was there that there was nothing. And still now, there are things going on behind the scenes that people are just giving to us. But also in that, the night Martin died, there, there was such a fire within me instantly that was, people need to know that God is real. People mm. need to know that Martin is in heaven, that I'm going to see him again, that if they know God, they will see him again. But also, Martin's funeral was a celebration. And those of you that were here will have seen that. There was no black. It wasn't allowed. It was a celebration. There were work colleagues here, there were unsaved family here, there were all of these cycling teammates from over 30 years here. When people were speaking about God, they were fixated on every single word that was being said. People have already come to know God through my experience, through what's happened to Martin. My neighbours are still noticing the connections that I have in church, the family I have in church, people still ask. My neighbours said to me, who are all these people? If anything happened to my husband, I'd have nobody. Mm. And they're intrigued still at how we're coping every day. And I'm able to tell people, it's God. It's God that's sustaining me. It's God that's keeping me. You know, I talk to people all the time about God, and I can see they're just, you know, they want, they want it. People out there are hungry. Yeah. And I think small groups are going to Yeah, I think it's the, it's the place where, where we, we can actually physically, tangibly yeah. offer our lives to another person and reflect Jesus. Uh, thank you, Sam. I'm going to read this over you. It's a commissioning, okay? Uh, put your hands up in the air if you want to. Put them in your pockets if you have to. Um, but let your heart be open. How good and pleasant is it when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, 
running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Father, come, build your church. We, your people, have no right to give you permission to do that. But we, in our heart of hearts, say yes to the advances and the increases you long to bring. For us personally, for us collectively, and for me, Lord God, more gloriously for the city in which you've placed us in. Lord, if there are people here who are not part of a small group, Lord, help them to understand the value and the significance of such fellowship. And Lord, I know there are leaders in this room who are already overly invested in trying to make this happen. Raise up new ones. And Father, the one thing we're all looking for is a place to call home. And I pray, God, today that somehow, somehow in all of my blurbing and talking, this will feel like home for someone here. And they'll want more than just an outing on a Sunday. They'll want fellowship on a Monday, a Tuesday, a Wednesday, or Thursday, whenever that can happen for them. Lord, bless your church. Fill your church with power, Lord. And lead your church by your spirit, I pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week.